happy Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for being here on a beautiful day. I would understand if you chose maybe to go to the beach or something like that. Maybe you're going to do that afterwards. That's great. Uh, we're going to be able to put that ourselves. But glad you're here. I'm glad we can be together. I think the best place we can be is with God's people and God's presence. So welcome. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are going through a series in 2 Corinthians. And so a uh, couple things to let you know if you weren't here last week is, one, we have journals. If you would like to use a journal, if you kind of pledge, we won't make you or force you, but if you pledge to use a journal, we want to give it to you for free. I think we have one or two left. Uh, does anyone uh, not have a journal who would like a journal? Just put your hand up, and maybe one of the ushers could get one to you. Um, so... Uh, Catherine over here, if someone could get Catherine a journal, that'd be great. Anyone else? We are, and if there are, if uh, if there's still people who want them, we'll order another box. And we want that, uh, you to have that so you can make the most of our series. Uh, the journals are they have a blank page and then they have a page with a scripture on it, so you can take notes. Or I know uh, there's one or two authors in here who can actually do little illustrations that will help them remember that. That's great. Secondly, in this series, we are doing Q&A at the end, so the message itself will be about five or so minutes shorter than normal, and we'll have about five to ten minutes of Q&A, and so we'd love you to ask questions about this this passage, about applying it, and if we have time, we could actually open it up to any question that you have. I want to help you just as we grow in Christ and learn these things to uh, do the best we can in that process to assist you, so just to let you know that. I thought of one thing this morning, too. I just wanted to take a minute. Um, May is a big month for graduates, right? And I think we have some graduates. So if you graduated from high school or junior high or college or grad school this month, would you just uh, put your hand up so we can know and congratulate you? Great. Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks for all your hard work and using your gifts to do good. Uh, It means a lot. Graduation is a huge milestone, so we appreciate you investing in those ways. Well, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And uh, as we begin, just start out, I want you to listen to these following firsthand descriptions of depression. Yeah, I know we're going to start on a low note here, but we're going to acknowledge this reality, and then we're going to see how the scripture helps us. So, Charlotte. She says, it's like the worst day of your life every single day. It feels like everything's falling apart and worthless, even if it's not. Vicky says this, numbness. You want any emotion, not just to be happy. Being angry or sad would be better than numb. Heather, a, a distance between you and the world. You cannot see any tangible future, so there is a feeling of hopelessness. It takes extra effort to do anything because the world is so far away and emotions really make it through the void either so you are numb and distant. Gareth, it's like dragging around a massive stone, holding you back and weighing you down. Like when you're at the gym and you can't see how you can push forward and even one more rep and everything else around you is doing fine. And finally, Helen, when I was younger, I described it as a feeling as though I had been run over by a bus. Not that it was painful, but that it was this huge weight on top of me that I couldn't move. People were always saying I should do this or try that, but they couldn't understand that I was pinned under it and couldn't get out. 
Well, in our passage, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul and his team experienced something very much like depression. And, and this wonderful letter puts his struggle front and center. Uh, he does that on purpose so he can help the Corinthians understand some core things about the Christian life. That a mature Christian is not someone who is struggle-free and strong, but someone who can struggle at the deepest levels, yet look to the Lord in their weakness and find in Him their greatest strength. We're going to learn that in this chapter and really throughout this whole book. So let's pray, because I think this is an important lesson from God's Word. We want to hear from Him. We want to be changed by Him. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And Lord, that You come in to us in our lives, whether we are currently struggling with depression uh, or we know someone who is, or we, we're going to struggle in the future, you come in with your word to help us with real answers, and we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we could learn from you and hear from you yourself. Lord, help me to teach and proclaim your word in such a way that we would go from here um, by your grace, having heard from you. We love you, and we know you're the answer, so help us to hear from you, to put our faith in you, and to Believe and follow you as a result of this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. God's word from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 11. This passage teaches us that God brings deep comfort in difficult suffering. And we learn three things related to this lesson as we look through the paragraph. We learn that God himself is deeply merciful and generously comforting. We learn that suffering and comfort are tied together. And we learn that like Paul, we learn the comfort of God's life through the suffering of death. So let's begin and go through those points and learn these things. Paul starts out this letter. He greets the Corinthians uh, graciously. And then he starts uh, his letter with a blessing, um, a blessing towards God, a, a typical 
uh, blessing that would have been given by a faithful Jewish believer starting a dialogue or a worship service, but it's no formality for Paul because in this blessing he, he addresses the character of God related to the particulars that he's going to get into. And, and this is not just a formality uh, because it's a reality of who God is, that every good thing comes from God, every good thing is to be experienced with God, and every good thing is to cause us to return our love and faith to God. And so everything starts with God and ends with God. It's how the universe is created. It's who he is and his ever-flowing graciousness to us. He loves us, and so he gives of himself. We are to receive and live in that, to love one another in that, and to give back to him our love. So that's the reality behind this blessing. There's, there's a lot here, and of course we could do a whole message just on this blessing. But in the blessing, he speaks of who God is. He says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He describes who God is as the Father of mercies. And actually, if you could put the first point up with the Bible verse underneath, that would be great. So you can see the, these verses. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's a, the Father of mercies. He's a good Father. Now, mercies here mean kindnesses and compassion and care that are not necessarily earned. So it's being kind, it's being compassionate, it's being caring for others. So he's a, a father of mercy. He's the, a God who's overflowing with this sort of disposition towards his people. He's merciful, he's compassionate. He looks at us and he understands our need, he understands our weakness, and he doesn't reject us in our need. He's like a good father who looks at his child and realizes they need my help and my protection. That's his orientation towards us. And so when Jesus is talking about how to pray, he brings this up and he says that, that uh, he's not, that you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give good, good gifts to those who ask? And he uses this idea of when you ask for bread, you don't give your child a stone. When you ask for a fish, you don't give them a scorpion. You give them what they need. Well, so much more our heavenly father is gracious, and he gives to us. He gives to us kindness. He gives to us provision. He doesn't leave us. He's the father of mercy. And, and really, every good gift comes from him. And life is full of his mercy and his kindness in so many ways. Uh, there are big mercies. There are little mercies. And, and if we take uh, time to think about it, I think we'll, we can recollect different mercies. They come in different shapes. Just one little one that I thought of as I was preparing this was uh, a mercy we received, a, a kindness we received years ago. Uh, our kids were young. Our oldest, Daniel at the time, was about five, I think. And he wanted one of those uh, miniature electric Jeeps. Um, and, and at the time, those electric Jeeps, I don't know what they are now, but back then, this is like 1990-something, 92, 93, um, he, they were like 300 bucks. And we were like, we didn't have much money back then. Um, and there's no way we could afford it. And so uh, I said to Daniel, well, Daniel, we, we can't buy a new one, but let's ask God for an electric Jeep. And so we prayed. We said, Lord, we, we pray that you'd somehow provide an electric Jeep for Daniel and his brothers. Well, the next day, we're driving by our neighbors, and there in the neighbor's trash is an electric Jeep, uh, this maroon electric Jeep. Actually, I've tried to find the photo. We have video of the kids riding it around the yard. So I took it out of the trash. It, uh, the battery was dead. That's all it was. They threw it out. And so I just got a new battery, put it in, and there's the electric Jeep the next day. It was amazing. Uh, and that's just, that's God's the Father of mercies. He's kind. 
He didn't have to answer that, and I can't say that every time I've prayed a prayer like that, I've had an electric eat or whatever. Um, but that time, it was amazing. The next day, it made me crash, a $300 electric treat. Uh, and the kids, that, uh, that is just a memory for them that's stuck there. Um, that's who he is. He's gracious. He's ever working. He's ever pouring out mercies. He's the father of mercies. That's, that's the ground here to what Paul's going to be talking about, the nature of God and his mercy. He's the, f- the father of mercies, and, and there's a mercy that is the mercy above all mercies. It's better than any electric heat. He's not only given things like electric heat, but he's given his very son, Jesus, for us. And we weren't asking. We were running the opposite direction. And in his great love for us, he sent his son. God came in the flesh, lived this beautiful life, glorious life, good life. This life that fulfilled all righteousness, so the perfect human life, the ultimate human life. He earned everything that, that any human could ever earn if they were without sin and only good and only loving. He lived this righteous life. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And then he died the death that we are supposed to die. Because he went to the cross and he bore our sins, not his sins. He had no sin in himself. He bore our sins on the cross. He offered up that righteous life to pay the penalty for sin, the rebellion against God. The, the wages of sin is death, to be cut off from God. And forever should we choose to live in that place. Jesus bore in his body our sins, and that penalty, the justice of God on the cross, died for you, died for me, paid the price completely. And then his righteous life was a pleasing sacrifice to the Father. It was righteousness. It was just. And so God received that sacrifice, raised him on the third day, alive forevermore. And that gift of Jesus is for you, just like that electric heat was for us. It's for you. You are to receive it. You receive it as a gift into your life. It is the chief mercy. It is a mercy that will never wear out. It will never grow old. It will only grow more wondrous in your life. One day when you go to be with him, it will be even more glorious fill your vision and fill you with joy beyond imagination. He is the Father of mercies. It's who He is. This is who our God is. And He's given us abundantly so many things, most of all, His very Son. He's the God of all comfort. It's interesting, as you read through it, 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 you see the word all appear again and again and again. He's the God of all comfort for all suffering, for all or any, same word actually, any affliction. There is no affliction that a Christian faces that doesn't qualify for God's abundant comfort. There's no lack of access, no matter what you might be going through. He's the God of all comfort. Any comfort you ever need. He's never limited in his comfort. He brings all the comfort you need. There's no situation where he's the God of small comfort. Every situation, he is the God of all comfort for you. That's what Paul's saying here. He, he brings everything you need for every situation. There's never a lack. He brings all his comfort. Now, it's important, a little caveat on comfort. Because when I say comfort, you're probably thinking something like sitting around, you know, a picture of sitting around in your pajamas, right, with nice slippers on, eating popcorn by the fire, enjoying a cup of cocoa, maybe watching a good movie with friends. That's comfort, right? And so he's the God of all comfy pajamas and slippers. 
Uh, comfort here means more than that. Nothing wrong with that, by the way, so don't feel guilty when you do that. Uh, but but uh, it's, it's something different. And in the Bible, the word for comfort really means help or assistance. Certainly, there's comfortable aspects to that help, but there can be times when that comfort's not very comfortable, when it isn't something that's pleasant and easy. The comfort that he brings at times is stronger stuff than just that. It's the power to believe him in your suffering. It's the power to choose to follow him and obey him, even though it costs you a lot. It's the power to hang on to him, believing him, despite the pain. It's the power to be resolute in hope while patiently waiting for his final answer. That's the sort of comfort that's meant here. And the Bible commentator David Garland says, you can put this quote up, please. He says, the comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a languorous feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pain, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the trouble of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. That's the sort of comfort God provides. In their journey to destroy the evil ring in the epic trilogy, Lord of the Rings, Sam and Frodo come to the end of themselves as they're journeying. They get to Mount Doom, the place where this evil ring has to be disposed of. And this ring is a uh, really a metaphor and, and a reality in the story of evil. And it, and it just wears Frodo down, and no one else can actually bear the ring because of its effects. Only Frodo can carry it, and he's totally exhausted, physically thirsty, hungry, weighed down by this evil that he's carried the whole way. He cannot go any further, yet he's at the foot of Mount Doom where the evil itself will be destroyed. And his good friend Sam is there with him. His friend Sam can't take the ring on himself. What he knows he can do is he can carry Frodo. And so he lifts Frodo up and he carries him up Mount Doom to dispose of the evil ring once and for all. The comfort Sam brings does not take Frodo out of Mordor. It doesn't give him water or food. He doesn't remove the ring. Frodo is still suffering, yet Sam carries him. And it makes all the difference in Frodo accomplishing the mission through to the end, ultimately in the story, to save Middle-earth from evil. Even so, God comes to us with all the help we need in our suffering to find the strength to endure and even overcome. And at times, he, re- he relieves that suffering. He removes it. But if not, he gives us the strength to endure it. It's important to understand this connection between suffering and comfort. They're tied together. And that's what Paul is illustrating here, that suffering and comfort are tied together. It's part of how God does things. He says here that uh, they share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Do you see that there? So if you could put up point number two with the verse underneath it. Um, As we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so we share abundantly in comfort too. And you may wonder, what What does that mean? Because I thought that Jesus suffered on the cross and atoned for our sins and his suffering, and I thought in saying it is finished, that atonement was done and the suffering was done. So how can we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings? Do we enter into atonement somehow ourselves? No. It is finished. The work is done by Christ. 
we can't add anything because it's not, but also if even if it somehow wasn't, which is impossible, we don't really add any atoning benefit to our own suffer uh, in our own sufferings because we're imperfect people. So that's not what it means. It's not related to atonement, but it is related to the reality of belonging to Jesus. And in this time frame between his uh, appearance on earth the first time and the second time, we live in this world and we will suffer as believers, and that's what it means by Christ's sufferings. Christ, in the body of his church, is still suffering in this world. And it's part of how he displays the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the power of life and communion with our triune God amidst weakness. That's the point that Paul's getting at here. And so we still share, the church does, abundantly in Christ's sufferings in different ways. And, and we don't get to choose how that happens. For Paul, it was very intense. Probably none of us will ever go through anything quite like Paul did. Maybe not through any of the things that Paul went through. But for, for the whole body, we do suffer. This is part of the reality. Jesus said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you have, may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Interesting, fast forward to Acts 14, Paul is uh, giving basic discipleship to new believers as he reached them with the message of, of the gospel and churches are being formed. And it says in uh, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and I, to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Good, good stuff, right? Got that. Strengthen the souls, continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Basic discipleship, you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. It's basic to the Christian life. That's so important to get. That's a key theme here in 2 Corinthians. And anyone who tells you otherwise is not telling you the truth. That's what Paul's after. Guys, this, the Christian life includes suffering, and there's something very powerful that God is doing in that. He brings comfort to us. So we shouldn't be surprised that comfort comes in and through suffering. And if you think about it, just backing up a little bit, we sometimes have a hard time getting this as Christians in our Christian life. But there's so many other contexts where, where people get it, right? Every athlete gets it. Every athlete knows that in order to get to the place where they are ex experiencing victory, they have to suffer first. No pain, no gain, right? As they say about workouts and athletics. There's hard work. There's pain. There's losses. There's lessons, there's sweat, there's sore muscles, there's strong exhortations of a coach. And it's only through those things is there gain and victory. They get that. Athletes get no pain, no gain. Moms get it, too. There's probably no other human speech quite like bearing a child and giving birth to a child. Um, the amount of energy expended to bear a child is 85,000 calories. 85,000 calories. Uh, that's basically the energy required to climb Mount Everest. And then after you're done climbing, then you give birth. Uh, so on top of all that, you, you give birth, and it's probably the most grueling pain that, that uh, I can imagine, and I'm glad I only have to imagine it. Um, but moms get this, right? Because at the end of all that, the 85,000 calories, all the work and the birth, there's a baby, a precious child that, that I think makes it all worth it. Right? I think. I didn't have to go through it, but I think. Yes, good. Thumbs up. It's all worth it. Um, moms get that, right? They get that. So let's get it for the Christian life. It's how God works. It's a good thing. And let us understand first, let's, let us not be surprised by suffering when it comes. 
And there's all types of suffering in Scripture, right? There's suffering for the sake of your choices to follow Jesus. That's a real, real thing for us. There's relational costs we pay. There's, there's economic costs we pay. There's all sorts of costs we pay because we follow Jesus. And, and those costs, I think, are going to increase and increase in our, as our culture changes. But there's just the suffering that's part of being in a broken world. The, the book of Job addresses that. It's, it's part of being in this, this broken world, and, there's, and Scripture addresses it elsewhere. It can just be sickness and hardships. And so let us not be surprised by suffering, because it's part of what God is doing. He's using suffering to bring comfort. So let us also anticipate the benefit that comes through suffering, because it's in the suffering that we learn about God's comfort, that we learn how He strengthens us, how He meets us. It's It's in the suffering that we have a special ability to look to God and not to ourselves and gain some things in that 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 are priceless. And honestly, from what I see of Scripture, and for Christ even himself, we would not gain had we not gone through that suffering. It's God's design to work good in our lives. So what difficulties are you facing Are you looking to the Lord in those difficulties? Are you learning comfort? And we're going to get into that in this final point. Are you learning comfort in this? And are you sharing your comfort? Because that's part of what Paul is saying too, is that we we suffer so that we can share our comfort. And and so our suffering means comfort for you guys. He was talking to the church and the, the regional church in Corinth. Our suffering is comfort for you. Because we get comforted, and then we give away that comfort to you. So you get blessed without even having to go through the suffering necessarily. And then he says, and I know when you suffer, you're going to find this comfort. I'm sure of that. And so we have this fellowship of comfort that goes on in the church. And so let me ask you, how are you sharing your comfort that God has brought to you? Are you relationally connected to this church or another one? Are you part of a ministry? Maybe for you. Uh, God's brought you through lots of crises and has brought you lots of comfort. And let me suggest, be part of our crisis care team. Talk to Pastor Jeff. Get trained in biblical counseling. Learn to share those comforts. Join a Bible study. Get with others and share the comfort. And let me know, because I would love to hear you have your testimony featured on some Sunday so that others can hear your story and the comfort God gave you. That's the reality is that suffering leads to comfort. And then third and final point, Suffering teaches us not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It's interesting, as we see here in under point 3, verses 8 through 11, Paul is shockingly transparent. He's shockingly transparent in this section. And as I said it last week in the introduction, these are the sorts of things that a leader uh, could get fired for, for saying. And yet he's unafraid to say it um, because he's not going to play the game. He's not going to play the game of pretending to be omnicompetent and always strong because that does not glorify God, and it's not reality. And so he's shockingly transparent. And the things he says are are really a sharing of our deep, deep struggle. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. And then this, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Do you hear Superlatives. It's like we were just way beyond, beyond, beyond our strength. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. 
Have you ever been utterly burdened beyond your strength? Have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't even think straight about what to do? It just undid you. That's what Paul's talking about. And this is the Apostle Paul. This is the one who's seen the risen Christ. This is the one who speaks and writes the very words of God. This is the one who's used of God to do miracles, raise the dead, drive out demons. And yet he says we were utterly burdened beyond our strength. And what's the result? We despaired of life itself. And then in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I like that translation. We felt that we had received the sentence of death. There's a feeling, there's an experience. It Literally, he says, uh, we in ourselves felt the sentence of death in us. That's what he says. Or the sentence of de- received the sentence of death, death in us. So the sentence of death was not just a pronouncement. It, was, it had come inside and it was living in us, is what he's saying. So I think feeling the sentence of death is a good interpretation of that. Other English versions say it slightly different. But the idea is that we were so beyond ourselves, we despaired of life, and the pronouncement of our death affected everything. It affected our minds, our emotions, probably our bodies. It was in us. We despaired to the point where we were we were full of despair. We were really, it's like what depression is. Paul doesn't use the word depression. He uses despair. He uses the sentence of death. But I think it's the same sort of thing here. And, and those among us who have experienced this at times, and, and I have as well, you know what he's talking about. You know when you feel all over just like you're not alive. You know when it feels everything grows dark, all you see are shades of gray. It's a chore just to face a regular day. Sunny, beautiful spring mornings bring little happiness. Evenings don't bring relief, but sometimes only a twisted, half-conscious darkness of soul. We call this depression. Paul calls it the sentence of death. And he's brutally honest with the Corinthians because he wants to shake them from this foolish notion that what Christians and mature Christians should look like, they should be omnicompetent, ever victorious, and strong. No, the reality is they are weak. We are all weak. We are subject to the ups and downs of life, of the weakness of our bodies, the, the struggles in this world, and so we suffer. And strength does not look like being omnicompetent. Strength looks like in your weakness being so utterly beyond yourself that you look to Jesus and you rely on him. Great Christians struggle greatly at times. And some struggle all the time. You may know Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers of the 1800s, maybe one of the greatest preachers in the English language, an incredible church leader. He preached nearly 3,600 sermons, wrote 150 books. He preached four to ten times a week, read six big, chunky books a week, knew all 6,000 of his congregants by name, directed a theological college, ran an orphanage, and oversaw 66 Christian charities. Quite a giant of faith. Do you know that he struggled with severe depression? Every week, every Monday he talked about his depression, and then there were seasonal times when he had such deep depression he had to take a break. He said, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. That's Charles Spurgeon. And he's honest with those things. You can read about it. I don't know if you've heard of Abraham Kuyper, the other man there on the right. 
He was perhaps one of the greatest Christian leaders in recent history for the turn of the century, uh, from the 1800s to 19, early 1900s. He was a pastor, a professor, a philosopher, a theologian. He was prime minister of Holland. He ran a major newspaper, led a major political party. His birthday was a national holiday in Holland. Um, and his thinking on Christ and culture to this day is probably some of the best and most compelling. And yet he went through serious trials, including estrangement from his son, many political enemies, serious disappointments, and three severe nervous breakdowns in his life. Christians struggle deeply at times. Some struggle all the time. But in the text, there's more than just that. that that's a, a key truth to start with, but not to finish with, because in the text, you see that there's something even more important. Paul says that in the sense of death, for all its horror, there is a bright side. It was given that they learn not to rely on themselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering kills self-reliance. Suffering kills self-reliance. That's what God's after in the suffering. That we would put self-reliance to death and we would, when we're on the bottom, look up and realize that God himself is there and he is the God that raises the dead. We see the connection to the use of death here, the sentence of death, the spirit of life. We were dead in our suffering. We, we felt the sentence in, in our whole lives, but we look now to the God who does what? Raises the dead. And Paul's hope in God who raises the dead is certainly in the resurrection itself, that we all will be raised bodily when Christ returns, but it's also metaphorical because this is the God that raises the dead in life. He comes to us in life, and he brings life to situations where we only know death. He meets us in our suffering. So Paul's going to say he delivered us, and he's going to deliver us again. He doesn't mean the final resurrection. Certainly he does mean that, but he's also talking about temporal answers. That God will work in our timeline of our lives and bring life where there's death. So we might suffer, we might struggle, but he's going to bring life. It might just be the life that we can endure through that suffering. It might be the full release of our suffering. And we as a church, by the way, believe that God brings healing. We pray for healing. We pray for supernatural healing. We recognize the, the benefit of, of medicine and so forth as well as part of God's program. We ask, and we'll never stop asking. But we understand that it's up to God. And there's times when he'll allow it to continue. But Paul's saying that he at times brings life, and that life is released from the suffering or it's meeting us in the suffering to give us strength. He puts his hope in the God that raises the dead. That's the lesson in suffering. It's kind of like, though to a much lesser degree, my experience uh, in fixing my car. Um, I'm okay at fixing cars. I'm, I was a mechanical engineer years ago. Um, I kind of know how to do things, and I've always tried, at least in the past, to fix my own cars. Um, and I don't know about you, you, you might be a mechanic and you might be really good, but for me, I, you know, I watch the YouTube video and it says like 30 minutes just to replace this, you know, this thing on your car, and it never is only 30 minutes. Um, there's always something that happens. A, a wrench falls down into the recesses of the engine or a bolt breaks or a part breaks, and, and uh, I've had it once or twice where I had to get my car towed as a result of my repairs on my own car. And I've learned in that that, you know what, it's just way better to not, reli not rely on myself, but on the mechanic who raises the dead. Um, you know, there are mechanics, they know how to fix cars. And so in a small way, it's just an illustration, 
which teaches me to look to someone who's competent. Who's competent to give you love? Who's competent to, to meet you in your suffering? Who has gone through all the suffering that we have, yet without sin, and overcame? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross? Who died on the cross for our sins and then rose again and is alive forevermore now and is with us and by the Spirit of God dwells in us? Who is that? Simple answer, Jesus. He is the one. And so that's what God is after in this, that we would look to him, that we would not put our hope in ourselves, but we would look to the one who is competent. So as I close, before we go to a short Q&A, let me ask you, what sufferings in your life are going on in which you have not yet stopped relying on yourself? Where are you relying on yourself in your suffering? What does that look like? Now, don't get me wrong. God may have things for you to do in that. I'm not saying you do nothing. But there's a, a core truth here. Where is your hope? Is it in your ability to figure it out? Or your ability to bring relief? Or maybe something else to bring you relief? Or is it in God who raises the dead, meeting you and answering you, however he would choose to, to answer you? How can you also model what Paul does here in being totally honest about your struggles, particularly in the redemptive ways. So we, we, we want to use those stories in a good way. Not everybody is going to be served if I tell them the story. But I need to be telling my stories. I need to be telling my stories of suffering and weakness and how God is meeting me or has met me. How are you doing that? Are you being honest as you've received comfort and are you sharing that with others? Let's just take 30 seconds to contemplate that, and then we'll transition to Q&A. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your, your word here, and I pray you'd help us to walk according to your truth, and even now to think about our particular application in our own lives. And I pray you'd be glorified through us as a result of hearing your word, believing, and walking in your truth. Amen. Let's take 30 seconds of silence to consider that, and then we'll do some Q&A. Okay, uh, so any questions on this passage or whatever? And just kind of shout it out. I'll repeat the question if needed and do my best to answer and help us. So, Mitch, you have a question? No, we don't know for sure. Uh, Bible scholars have different ideas. We know that um, that he talks about fighting beasts in Asia elsewhere too, um, fighting wild beasts. I think he means that metaphorically. So there were some sort of spiritual battles going on. I think is what's behind it. There probably were some other things um, going on. So we know in Ephesus, for example, there was the riot that went on uh, because as the gospel was going forward, uh, there were so many people coming to faith that it was affecting the economy of the idols. There these silver idols that they would make for Artemis, the temple. And so the, the craftsmen who made those started the, the riot because they were losing their business, which is 
amazing there were that many believers coming to faith um, and there was a huge uh, uproar and so forth with that and, and Paul had to leave that that might have been it but uh, but I think it probably was another incident that went on where there was a more personal attack on them uh, probably spiritual attack uh, maybe some other things that happened so Asia would have been where Ephesus was um, that, that was Asia Minor what we call Asia Minor um, so there had something that had gone on that was that uh, that difficult to, to them that they struggled to that point. Um, so they might have actually been in prison and were going to be actually sentenced to death. So there might have been a real sentence of death in the area there. Yeah, Heidi. Oh, yeah. Uh, can we get this mic working? Okay, I'll repeat it. So the word comfort uh, is not like the English comfort. Um, yeah, it's, it includes that, but it, it's more than that. It's the same word um, that, that uh, you refer probably paraclete. Um, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, and, the, and it comes from um, the idea of coming alongside. And so with that, it's the coming alongside. It, so the comfort is the coming alongside of God for us, which means at times that that's, you know, brings gentleness and rest. But sometimes it's exhortation, right? Sometimes God comes alongside to give us power and strength. Uh, sometimes he comes alongside to maybe give us a kick in the butt because we're neglecting to you know, believe him and follow him. Uh, it's whatever is needed. It's, it's our, our good and gracious father coming alongside and helping. So that's the word. It's the same root as paraclete, literally, um, which is interpreted different ways. Encourage, comfort, exhort. Uh, you'll see that in scripture. It's usually the same word, just used slightly different, differently depending on the context. So it's very different than English comfort, right? Because for us, it's again from pajamas and slippers to comfort. So it's a little more. Good question. Other questions? Anybody? faithful and he's good let's don't complain yeah i think we all have if we're honest and i trust this is kind of hitting home i think we're all either in or have been in or we will be in situations like this and that is kind of the, the core right it's uh self-reliance i think is the root of the anxiety and fear we have in difficulty and if we get rid of self-reliance i don't think we'll be as anxious or fearful and perhaps won't feel as depressed now, easier said than done, and depression can involve physical things that are difficult to deal with. But God wants to get at that root of self-reliance and cut it and bring us the ability to look to him. And he's, and he's just not, you know, a little help. He's not just Sam-wise kind of sort of help. It's the God that raises the dead. He's, he's the God who's Lord of death, Lord over it, greater than death, and the Lord of life. And he comes to help us. And so... Uh, I just think at, at the core of our struggles often is self-reliance. And God wants to cut that and teach us to trust him along the way through. Amen. 
All right, so why don't we transition to communion. Communion is a wonderful way to celebrate this whole truth. In communion, we have in our hands a representation of Christ's body and blood given to us to bring us this life. So Pastor Jeff, you want to come up, and the band can come forward as we transition. Great questions, guys. Thanks so much.